If you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Acts chapter 16, I'd appreciate that, Acts chapter 16. And uh, we're continuing our series, Unstoppable, this morning. Uh, it's, you know, sometimes I drive to places, I find myself, I drive to places, I have no idea how to get there. So years ago, I bought one of those garments. Remember the garments? How many remember the garments? The garments. And then now we have the GPS on our smartphone. And what's really nice about them is you put in the address to where you want to go, and then it gives you choices, right? It gives you all kinds of choices. The choice, most highways, the back roads, the fastest routes, the shortest routes, and all those kind of things. You hit it, and it tells you exactly where to go. Isn't that amazing? It tells you exactly where to go. And you get there without any problems. Don't you wish there was a Garmin or a smartphone for life like that? Don't you wish you had something like that where you would find out your next destination, you put it in your next, de next, next destination, and it tells you when and where you're going to go, and all those kind of things. But then you have choices. That God actually gives us choices. He say, okay, do I want the fastest route? I want the one with the most highways. I don't want to have any potholes. I don't want to have any speed bumps. I don't want to have any construction or anything like that. And we put that in there, and then you get there without any of those problems, right? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great to have that? And, and, and as you arrive at your destination, then God puts in the next destination. So you know for the next three years where you're, where you're going in the future, right? And you understand it, and you get there. And it kind of sounds great, doesn't it, to have something like that? Wouldn't you like to have something like that? So you know where you're going and how to get there and all that. And God gives you choices. God, I want this route. I want to take this route. I want to eliminate, eliminate these things out of my life. Sounds good, but I don't know if it would be. If I would have found out the very beginning of my life where I was going to be today and how I had to get there, like when I was in high school or 18 years old, it probably would scare me to death, right? I'd probably be petrified. At the same time, it would take away all the excitement. It would take away the need for faith. If I know where I'm going to go and, I, and I'm going to arrive at that destination, I get to choose. If I could plan my route, if I could take away the speed bumps and the speed traps and all the potholes, but as I look back over the years, I'm so thankful to God that I had all those in my life because it made me the person I am today. And it made you who you are today. Uh, probably every one of us wonders about the will of God, don't we? We all want to know the will of God, the Lord, what's next for me? Who do you want me to marry and all those kind of things? How many children do you want me to have? What schools do you want me to send my children to? Uh, what job do you want me to take? Do you want me to take this job or that job? What house do you want me to buy? Do you want me to buy a used car or, or a new car? And all these decisions. We want to know the will of God because we don't want to make any mistakes, do we? None of us want to make mistakes. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 15, we went over last week, was the Council of Jerusalem, if you remember where they came to a theological unity in regards to what salvation really was. That the conclusion, the apostles and the elders from the church of Jerusalem and Antioch and representatives came together, and they were in agreement that the gospel is Jesus, of who he is, that he's the Son of God, that he's God, and what he did for us, that he died on the cross for our sins, and he paid the payment for my sins, your sins, the sins of the whole world, and he was our substitute on that cross. He took our place right upon that cross. And salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? And you can't add anything to it. You can't add circumcision. You can't add the law of Moses. You can't add baptism. You can't add church membership to it. You can't add anything to it. Because salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that was decided in Acts chapter 15 in the Council of Jerusalem. Now let's look at Acts chapter 16. Let's start reading the verses 1 through 5. It says, the writer said, He came to Derby and then to Lystra, 
And there a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. It, the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, and Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Let's look at a map here. I got the map put up here. And what, what's happening here is Paul, the apostle Paul and Silas are going to leave here from Antioch, and they're going to go on their second missionary trip, and they're going to follow this line. Can you guys see that? You see it? They're going to follow this. They're going to go to Derby, and they're going to get to Lystra. And what they're doing, they're retracing their steps that they went on the first missionary trip that Paul did where they planted churches and they reached people for Jesus Christ. And can you imagine if the will of God would take Paul back to Lystra? Lystra was the city where Paul was stoned. It was where he was dragged out of the city and he was left for dead. And, and that God now brings Paul back to this, this city. If I was Paul, I said, God, I have one request. I'm excited to go on the mission trip for you. That first missionary trip was great. And now to go back and visit all those churches that we planned in the second missionary trip, I'm excited about doing this, but I have one request. One request. I don't want to go to the city of Lystra. I was stoned there, and I remember that stoning. I don't want to have any part of that, right? What we see here, the will of God took Paul right back to that same city that he was stoned at. And oftentimes we think of the will of God, we think of the will of God as smooth sailing, right? But it wasn't for Paul. And it probably won't be for us either, guys. Probably won't be for us. So Paul meets this young man in Second Timothy. I mean, young Timothy. In Second Timothy, we read about his his grandmother and his mother, but his mother being Jewish and his father being a Greek or Gentile is what we find out. And his grandmother and, and mother taught Timothy the scriptures of the Old Testament. And it appears if it's his grandmother, his mother, and Timothy all come to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior on Paul's first missionary trip. When he came there and he preached the gospel along with Barnabas at that time. And now he's here on his second missionary trip. And now he's got Silas. Paul and Silas are there. And the Bible says two things about Timothy. The first, that he's a believer and he's a good, has a good reputation. And that got Paul's attention so much that Paul invites Timothy to come with him on his second missionary trip. So come and help me. So if you have your outlines, hopefully if you do. If you don't, they're right out here at the center table, the ministry counter, right out the center doors there. I want to give you three ways to know God's will. And the first way is this. We can know God's will by listening to people. We can know God's will by listening to people. Timothy was a man who understood that the will of God comes through listening to people. And listening to godly people who know God and know his word, right? He listened to his mom. He listened to his grandmother. He listened to Paul. Listened to Paul on his first, first missionary trip, and he, now he listened to Paul on his second missionary trip. He listens to Paul, and Paul says, follow me, and he did that. He followed him. As Timothy is going with Paul, Paul says, you have to be circumcised. You say, wait a minute, Paul. Wasn't that what the Council of Jerusalem was all about? That salvation does not include, I mean, salvation does not include circumcision? But here's the thing, and that's true. Salvation does not include circumcision. It's Christ and Christ alone. But the, Paul's thinking is this. We're going to be ministering to Jewish people. The Gentiles don't care about that. But the Jews know that your father was a Greek. That was a Gentile. So they're going to be questioning it. If people are going to minister to us, we want people who have followed the law of Moses and all those kind of things and that set down before us. So Timothy says, okay, I'll be circumcised in order to have a broader ministry to people. That's why he did it. Otherwise, we would not be able to minister to the Jews. They would not listen to him. 
Remember Paul's philosophy of ministry. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. He says this, To the weak I became, I, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people that I might win some, that I might save some. Paul's philosophy was, I will do whatever I have to to reach other people for Jesus Christ. I won't change the message. The message won't change. But whatever I have to do, I'm going to do it in order to reach people for Jesus. That's his philosophy. So that's what he was t- sharing with Timothy. You've got to be circumcised. So we can talk to the Jews because we've got to speak to the Jews. So we know God's will by listening to people, right? The church in Lystra listened. Is the apostle Paul shared the results of the council of Jerusalem that the elders and the apostles uh, decided. They not only listened, but the Bible tells us as a result, they were strengthened in faith and they grew daily in numbers. How important is it listening to people for godly advice? How is it important to listening to know God's will? It's really, really important, isn't it? But the key here is we have to listen to the right kind of voices. We have to listen to the wise people. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 5 says this, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance or counsel. Here's the question. What is wise counsel? If someone has come up to you, what is wise counsel? For some, it's finding somebody that you agree with. That's wise counsel. Finding somebody that will give you advice that you agree with. That's, that's wise counsel to me. I want to find somebody I agree with, right? I have people over the years come up to me and they ask me for advice. They, they say, you know, I'm going through a situation and I need to know God's will. And could you help me with that? And I said, based on what you've told me and based on what I know about God, I think this is the route you ought to take. And many times they look at me and they say, yeah, yeah, that's what pastor so-and-so told me. That's what Grail told me. That's what Thad told me. But that's not what they wanted to hear. That's not what they want to hear. So what they do, they, they usually continue to search for a pastor and elder who would agree with what they want to hear, right? And then when they find that person that agrees with them, then they go and do it. That's what many people want. They want to find someone that agrees with them. That's what I'm looking for. Then they do it. Here's the definition of wise counsel. It's wise counsel is somebody who knows this book, the Bible, and are living it. That's wise counsel. Someone who knows this book, the Bible, and are living it. I would challenge every young person. I would challenge you to find a wise counsel who can mentor you, who you can ask questions to, who you can watch. We all need wise counsel, don't we? A man and woman is having problems in their marriage, and they're both believers in Jesus. That happens sometimes, right? They're both believers. And one of them saying, I don't know if this is going to work, and I don't know if we're going to make it. So they go to work and find somebody who's already messed up their own life, and they come to them and say, hey, I'm having trouble at home. What do you think I ought to do? Does it surprise you to get bad counsel from that person? Would it surprise you? And many times what that person says, oh, you don't need to take that. You need to just dump them and move on in your life because you deserve to be happy. And by the way, I've got someone in mind for you to meet. That happens quite a bit, doesn't it? Probably more times than we like to admit that happens in people's lives where we hear that, where they go to work and they just ask anybody for counsel. Wise counsel, if we're going through a difficulty, we all need wise counsel, don't we? Go to counselors. Go to people who know God's word and are living it. They're not perfect. There's only one who's perfect. And who is that? Jesus, amen. There's only one that's perfect. None of us are perfect, but they're, they know God's word, and they're trying to live it. That's what we want. We want to go to those type of people who know God's word, and they're trying to obey God's word and live that. That's the first way of knowing God's will, is listening to wise counsel. Amen? That's the first way. The second way to know God's will is number two. We can know God's will by yielding to the Holy Spirit. We can know it by yielding to the Holy Spirit. Let's read verses 6 through 10. 
Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not, would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So let's go back to a map. We get the map here and see it again. And we said that he started over here from Antioch. He went to Derby, went to Lystra, and now Paul is going over here, and he wants to go into Asia, he wants to go here, minister the gospel, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit says, no, you can't go here to Asia. You can't go this way. So he goes up this way, and he said, hey, we want to go up to Bithynia. We want to go up here. Again, the Holy Spirit says, no, you can't go that way. So then he stops. So he takes the exit route in through, to Mysia, through Mysia, and he comes to Troas over here, where he's going to get a yes. But he got a no here, a no here, but he's going to get a yes. And that happened in the middle of the night. There's a man that he had, Paul has this vision, and a man from Macedonia tells him, come over here. Now, Macedonia is over this way. I don't know if you can see it. Macedonia is over here. And this is today Europe, modern-day Europe's today. is over here. So they want to go over to Europe. So they hear this, uh, this voice that Paul hears in the middle of the night say, come over to us. So what the Bible says, they looked at that and it says, we concluded. And it's really important we see that. It says, we concluded. It appears they gathered together. Luke's there, the writer of the book of Acts, because he says, we, the writer there, that wrote the book of Acts is there. And they had this discussion. And it says, what does this mean, come over and help us? That we concluded, it says, that this was an open door that God had provided for them. It was an open door. Now let me ask you a question. Were there people in Asia who needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes, of course there was. Was there people in Bithynia that needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? Of course there were. Then, then why did God say no? Why did they say no to those two places? No, you can't go to Asia. You can't go to Bithynia. But they come all the way over here to Troas. They come here. Paul has this vision. They agree. They say, we understand God's will. God's will is for us. Gives us an open door. They come across here to Samothrace, to this island here. They come over here to Neapolis and on into Philippi, and now they're into Europe, and they're taking the gospel west into Europe as we see that here, that they did this. And they were listening to God. They knew God's will. They were following God's will, right? They were doing all that. But why was there closed doors? Why did God close some doors on them and wouldn't let them go through there? You ever think about that? Why did he close the doors? Didn't God want to reach the people of Asia or Bithynia? I have never been able to figure out the closed doors of God. I've never been able to understand this. What I can tell you, what I know about God, what I've learned from the scriptures about God is this, that God's ideas are bigger and better than my idea. Amen? God's ideas are bigger and better than mine, and I'm all right not having an explanation. We have to be all right with those kind of things, that God can close doors, and he doesn't have to have a good reason all the time, right? He doesn't have to explain to me why I closed the doors. God can just close them and says, I'm just closing the door. You're not going to go there. You're going to go someplace else. We have to understand that. But God closes doors, and when he does that, that closing those doors may involve some grief sometimes in our own lives that we don't like what God is doing. And we might have to emotionally work through that, right? We might have to emotionally work through that. I'm sure Paul was really upset. He wanted to go to Asia. God said no. Then he wants to go to Bithynia to share the gospel. And God says no. He said, what do you want me to do, God? I can't go anywhere. And then God opens the door to, to go on over to Europe, and that happens. But here's what we have to understand. 
when God closes the door, we have to come and understand he's got bigger and better ideas for us. It means he's got something better for us. He had something better for the Apostle Paul. And we have to trust him for that, right? When God closes the door, don't get upset. Say, God, I'm excited. You closed this door because you've got something bigger and better for me. You've got something better for me. And I'm just going to trust you. And I'm waiting for the opportunity. You're going to open that door. I'm waiting for, waiting for that opportunity, what you're going to give me. That's how we're supposed to look. And I'm sure that's the way Apostle Paul, okay, you don't want me to go to Asia. You've got other plans for Asia. You don't want me to go to Bithynia. You've got other plans. But you want me to go through to Samothrace and on into Europe, Annapolis, and now to Philippi, and on through there. You want me to go through there and reach the people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I like that Paul went to Philippi. And he, in Philippi, he meets a lady by the name of Lydia. We're going to talk about her in just a moment. But he ministers to her, and she comes to know Jesus Christ as her Savior. But then he heals a slave girl with an evil spirit. And because of his ministry in the city, it caused an uproar that they grabbed Paul and Silas, and they stripped them of their clothes. They severely beat them. They flogged them. They threw them in prison, and they put shackles on their feet. And when you look at that, you say, is that the will of God? I mean, because let's face it, if that's the will of God, I don't know if I want that, right? That's what God's will is, of following God. Because most of us, when we want the will of God, we think of the will of God as it's not going to involve potholes or speed bumps or, or anything like that or speed traps, right? But the will of God involves all of those. And they're all there for a purpose in our life. That God has every one of those things that we come and those difficulties for a purpose. In the midst of the speed trap, in the midst of the speed bump, even the worst of the potholes, our tendency is pray and say, Lord, take care of these. Remove these things, right? It's just like when we're driving, when you're, when, you, when you're driving your car, your SUV, whatever you have, you're driving, and you see a pothole, you say, why don't somebody take care of these? And that's what we ask in life, too. Say, God, we come to him and say, God, change the circumstances and make it smooth. Take, take care of those difficulties, those potholes, those speed bumps, those speed traps, that construction, all those things in my life, and make it smooth. And oftentimes what God says, no, I'm going to leave the circumstances to change you become more like Jesus. Do you realize that God is not interested in changing your circumstance? God is interested in changing you. And so many times we pray for God, change my circumstance because I don't like this. And God says, no, no, I'm going to use that circumstance to change you, to mold and shape you to be like Jesus. So maybe what we should be praying is, God, change me. Let me learn something about you through this circumstance. Let me draw closer to you so I can be more like Jesus. That would be in line of what God has for us, right? That God uses our circumstances many times to mold and shape us to be more like his son. And we know God's will by yielding to the Holy Spirit. But we're going to go through some tough times many times when we're going through God's will, right? The third way we know God's will is, number three, we can know God's will by being obedient to God's word. By being obedient to God's word. Verse 11 through 13. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. On the Sabbath day, Paul would normally, when he entered into a city, he would go into the synagogue, and there he'd preach in the synagogue to the Jews that were in the synagogue until they wouldn't tolerate him any, anymore. Then he would leave, and he would go out and speak and preach to the Gentiles. Not 
Not going to the synagogue indicates there probably wasn't a large Jewish community in that city because you needed at least 10 registered Jews in a city to have a synagogue. So not having that, Paul went outside of the city to find a place of prayer and where he met some women that were gathered there. And one of the women that were gathered there was a lady by the name of Lydia. Let's read verse 14 and 15. And one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Theratera, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Now what's interesting, what do we know about this lady, Lydia? That she was from Thyatira. Where is that? That's in Asia. That was in Asia. So the first person that Paul reaches when he gets to Europe is a person from Asia. The place where God says, no, Paul, you're not going to Asia. What do you think that is? God says, I've got other plans. I've got other plans. I've got a way to reach Asia. And the first person you're going to reach, Paul, is a lady by the name of Lydia who is from Asia. So, so he reaches her, and, and she was a seller of purple, the Bible says. Purple was a dye that was made of a plant, also of a purple fish, and they would use that for clothing and, and other things. But what we know about this lady is she was obedient to the word. It's real important we realize that. That in a couple of different ways. First of all, she was obedient to the word in terms of becoming a follower or worshiper of God. That is, being a Gentile, she came to understand the truth of God through the Old Testament as it was revealed right then. She understood the Old Testament scriptures. And she followed, and she obeyed him. Secondly, when Paul comes, he shares with her the rest of the story now that the Old Testament didn't share. And the story was about Jesus. And she came to understand who Jesus was, and she put her faith and trust in Jesus. So now she's obedient to the Word. Probably what Paul shared with her is what he wrote in the book of Romans, because he's there. He's writing in the book of Romans. Probably the book of Romans is what he was going to share with her. And, and, and that when she was obedient to the Word, even to her own baptism, and even beyond that, uh, she came to open up her house, and she invited them to her house, and they didn't want to go. Finally, she persuaded them to come to her house and stay there. And her house became kind of the, the center place for the early church in Philippi is what we see. So we have to be obedient to the Word. Let me bring this together. How do we know the will of God? The three things is through listening to people, through yielding to the Holy Spirit, and through obedience to the Word. May I suggest on a more practical level that we kind of approach this emphasis in reverse order would be more appropriate than in your outline. In the reverse order that we start with, knowing the will of God that we always start with, you might, might want to mark this down in your, in your outline. The Word of God is where you start with the will of God. That's where you start. Not how it was played out here. That was a story that was being told what had happened in their lives. But we always start out with the Word of God is where we start out with the will of God. You want to know the will of God? You go with the Word of God. That's where we go. And so it comes to who do I marry? How many children do you want me to have? Where do you want me to live? You want me to live in, in the city, outside the city? Where do you want me to live? Uh, what job do you want me to take? This job, that job, what car do you want me to buy? Uh, where do you want me to attend church? How much do you want to give me in my offering and tithe? All those questions, all those questions that we ask can be answered directly or indirectly by the Word of God. All those can. And the Word is meant to explicitly share with us the will of God for our life is what it does. As a matter of fact, probably half a dozen times in Scripture, it says the will of God is this for you your salvation, your sanctification, your submission, Romans chapter 12. That's the will of God for your life. And maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, the Bible doesn't give us details about where we should live. 
So you, you, you open up your Bible willy-nilly, and you start reading and say, okay, I'm going to find where God wants me to live. And you come to it, and God says, Jericho. Are you going to move to Jericho? Is that what you're going to do? You're going to open it up and say, Jericho, that's where, that's where God wants me to live, because that's what I got from the Word of God. No, the Bible gives us principles, and it's so important we understand this. The Bible gives us principles. It speaks explicitly or implicitly. And what I mean by that, it speaks directly to it, the Bible directly to the situation we're in, or it's strongly, strongly implied in the Bible about that whatever decisions we have to make, right? And the Bible tells us who to marry. It does tell us who to marry. Not by name, but it tells us that we're to marry a person who's a, a believer in Jesus Christ, right? Someone who knows the Lord and is walking with the Lord and living for the Lord and loves the Lord and serving the Lord, right? Because we don't want to be unequally yoked. So the Bible does tell us who to marry, not by name. The Bible also talks about the things that we purchase. Like if you're going to purchase a house, so where are you going to live? That we don't purchase a house that costs so much that I can't continue to give my offering and tithe to God. Or I can't save. So we're supposed to live within our financial means. So it does speak about those things. It does give us the principles to live by. We have to understand those principles and live by. Because God knows best, right? We want to do the will of God, right? So we have to know the will of God. And the first way to know the will of God, we have to obey the word of God. Secondly, you've got to yield to the Holy Spirit. And we have to be obedient to the Word of God in order to yield to the Holy Spirit because we have to allow the Word of God to stand in judgment over interpretation of what the, we believe the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And it's really important we do that. Really important. Because so many times people ignore the Word of God and what they just say, they constantly say, Holy Spirit, lead me. And you may say, wasn't well, it a good thing to say, Pastor? Listen to me. Listen to me out here. Holy Spirit, lead me. And what they're looking for is a Macedonia vision for every decision they have to make. Like Paul had a Macedonia vision, and that's what they're looking for. For everyday life. God, do you want me to take this job? Give me a Macedonia vision. God, do you want me to buy this house? Give me a Macedonia vision. God, do you want me to go this way or that way or whatever you want me to do? Give me a Macedonia vision. It's almost as God is saying to you, he says, my Holy Spirit has already wrote, written 66 books. He's already spoken to you. 66 books in this book. And that's what God has given to us. These 66 books is, my Holy Spirit's already spoken. He's already given you direction. And as it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, he's given you for teaching, rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And upon that, we build upon the work of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the Holy Spirit will never do, tell you to do anything that is in conflict or contrary to the Word of God. He will never do that. So if you're doing something, and you say, boy, I really feel strongly that the Holy Spirit is leading me to do this, but it's in conflict with the Word of God, you're misinterpreting what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. That's why it's so important that we take the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit will guide us to live according to His Word. And if any time that He's guiding you to do something is contrary or in conflict with His Word, and is not in agreement with His Word, don't do it. He's only going to lead you to do what is in agreement with his word. That's why it's so important as we're being guided by the Holy Spirit that we allow this word of God to be our guide, be our compass. Because the Holy Spirit will guide you through the word. He'll use the word of God to guide you. So it makes you give good, good counsel from the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, on top of that, you're listening to godly counsel. But in this order, this order, obedience to the word of God, yielding to the Holy Spirit, and listening to godly counsel in that order, right? To make sure we're right. We don't go to godly counsel and ignore the word of God. And then we find people that we agree with, that agrees with us, and we look for their advice. No, we want godly counsel, so we go to the word of God. I have met people who have asked me for advice, and, and, and they've asked me, 
and they say they're going through some things, and what do you think I should do? And I'd give them advice, and, and they might say to me, you know, I, I think God's leading me a different place, though. Think me to do something different. And sometimes a person didn't listen to me, and, and they wanted to do their own thing, and they go do their own thing, and, and they come back to me and say, you know, I didn't listen to your advice, but I believe what I did was right because I'm experiencing, experiencing such peace in my life. And, and I'm not... What I'm about to say, I'm not saying all my counsel is always right, guys. I'm not saying that. But here's the point. So many times there's a huge difference what people experience is relief, and it's not peace. There's a huge difference between peace and relief that we have in our life. And sometimes we confuse relief with peace, and we say oh, vice versa. And we say, boy, I have, I'm experiencing peace when it's really relief. Like a person maybe quits their job or they want to get out of their marriage or something like that. And then all of a sudden... Uh, all those things that they had to do at work, they're no longer responsible for that, right? All those deadlines, all those appointments, all those things they had to do, they no longer have to do that. And what they're experiencing is not peace, they're experiencing relief. Because I no longer have to do those things, right? So you say, what is the difference between relief and peace in my life? Relief is the removal and change of outward circumstances. Peace is that which is inside the heart. It's a huge difference. There's a huge difference that peace is always connected with righteousness. It's always connected with righteousness, peace is. And so if a person says, you know, I'm not happy in my marriage, and, and I think I want to leave, and the, the divorce reasons aren't according to the Bible, and they just bail. And they say, you know, I, I know I did the right thing. I know the Holy Spirit led me to do this because I'm experiencing such peace in my life. That's not peace. That's relief because they're not having the daily arguments, right? They're not having the conflict inside the home, and they're outside it. So they're having relief, not peace. There can't be peace because the Scriptures say that peace and righteousness always go together. In Psalm 85, verse 10, it says this, Love and faithfulness have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Where there's righteousness, then there can be peace. And I'm talking about God's peace, not the world's peace. God's peace. The reason you and I can have peace with God the Father, because Jesus, the righteousness of God, gives us that peace. And so we have peace connected with righteousness. That's why Jesus can offer us true peace, because he's righteous, right? So peace and righteousness go together. What I love about this story in Philippi, Paul and Silas are, are beaten. They're in their shackles, and they're in prison. They have to be hurting. Their backs are a bloody mess. I mean, they've been beaten almost to death. Their backs are a bloody mess. Did they have peace? Yes. Yes or no? Yes, they had peace. Did they have relief? No. They're still in prison. Their backs are hurting. They're in a lot of pain. But we know they had peace because why? They were praying and singing and worshiping God and lifting up their hearts and minds. They didn't have relief. They're still in prison. But they had the peace of God in their lives. That's what they had. They had God's peace because they were the sing. We can know the will of God. God wants us to know his will. But by obedience to the word, by yielding to the Holy Spirit, and by listening to wise counsel, in that order is where we find God's will for our lives. But there are some who think that if you're going through a tough time, you can't be in the will of God. Say, but if you're going through a difficult time, you can't be in the will of God. In the hardest week of Jesus' life, the people that he spoke into existence, they called them names, they spit on him, they put him through trials that were more than just a joke. They hung him on a cross, and he died with the sins of the entire world placed upon him. Let me ask you, was Jesus in the will of God? Yes, he was. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 23 says this. This Jesus was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help, help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Hours before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus is in the garden, and he asks the Father, he says, Father, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, right? Father, your will be done is what he's asking for. Aren't you glad that Jesus was in the will of the Father so that you and I can be in the will of the Father? Let's choose to live in the will of God. That's a choice that we have to make each and every day. And the first step in being in the will of God is you've got to know him. You've got to have a relationship with him. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know what I'm talking about, a relationship, if you don't have faith in Jesus and, and put your faith and trust and have that relationship with God the Father through Jesus, please listen to me. Or if you're not for sure, you say, but I don't really know if I have this, please listen to me. Because God loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have that relationship with you. But there's nothing you can do about it because you're a sinner and God is holy, just, righteous, and perfect, and righteous, and all those kind of things. And so there's a great gap between us and, and God. And there's no way we can bridge that gap because we're sinners. We're not all the things God is. God's in a, another category than us. So there's no way we can approach him. So God has to fix the problem. So God sends his son, Jesus, from heaven. And he came down in his glory, and he took on human form, and he became a man, a baby. He was born as a baby. That's what we celebrate Christmas is all about. And he grew up, and he became a man. And then he went to the cross, and God placed all your sins, my sins, the sins of everyone in this room, the sins of everyone in the world, past, present, and future. They placed them all upon Jesus, all the sins you ever will commit upon Jesus. And Jesus paid the price for your sins upon the cross. He took your place. He was your substitute. He died for you. So now that you and I can approach God the Father, but we have to come to God his way, the way that he has provided. And there's only one way he's provided. There's only one way to come to him. The way he provided was through Jesus. He paid the price. And it's you and I come and recognizing him as sinner and accepting what Jesus did for us upon the cross, that he died on the cross for our sins, and we trust him as our Savior. If you've never done that, you've never, if you're not sure about that, do that today by simply saying, God, I, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need a Savior. And right now, I accept what Jesus Christ did for me upon the cross, that he died, was buried, and raised on the third day, and I accept him as my Savior. I trust him as my Savior. Do that. If you've never done that, please do that today. If you have questions, please come and see me, because you can't be in the will of God. You can't live in the will of God until you have a relationship with God through Jesus. Amen? You've got to have that. If you don't, please see me. Everything else I said today will not apply to you, to know the, will of, know the will of God and live in the will of God. Unless you know Jesus, unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've got to have that. So hopefully you have that, every one of you. If you don't, please see me. That is so important you have that. And if you know Jesus, let's choose to live in the will of God. And you do that by being obedient to the Word of God, by yielding to the Holy Spirit, by being obedient to God's Word. By, by listening to godly counsel, rather. We do that. We have to choose to live, live every day, say, I want God's will in my life. I want God's will in my life. And it's through, again, obedience to the word, yielding to the Holy Spirit, and listening to wise counsel. Not any counsel, but wise counsel, right? So let's live that way. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We praise you, Lord, that to each one of our tendencies, if we're honest with ourselves, each one of our tendencies is to do our own thing. Do our own thing, do our own will, that I want my will done in our marriages. 
We're imperfect people. We want our own will. We want our own way. And every one of us has that tendency in relationships, in our life, to get up every morning and want to do my own thing. And we don't want to be accountable to someone else. We don't want someone else telling us what to do. So, Lord, it's against our nature to be obedient to you. It's against our nature to submit to you. But, Lord, we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit you would help us, that each one here this morning would yield to the Holy Spirit of God and say, God, I, I want your will in my life. Because, Lord, you have bigger and better ideas than me. Your plans for me are greater than anything that I can possibly come up with on my, by myself. That what you have for me, Lord, will make a difference in people's lives, will make a difference in my life. It will be lasting not only in this life, but for eternity. So, Lord, I pray for each person here, Lord, that we would surrender our hearts and our minds to you this morning. That we come this morning, Lord, and just say, God, I, I lay down my will. I lay down my way. I lay down the way that I'm doing things. I've tried it my way, and all I've done is mess up my life. And so, Lord, I yield myself to you this morning. I submit. I throw my hands up and say, God, I surrender to you. Help me to live according to your, your will. Help me be obedient to your word, to get into the word and grow in your word and be obedient. Help me to yield to the Holy Spirit. Help me to listen to godly counsel, people who, who know God's word and live in it. Help, help me to be that way, that kind of person that have a desire and a zeal to do your will. Lord, it doesn't come naturally. So Holy Spirit, we're asking you to do a supernatural work in each one of our hearts to change our ways, to change our mindset, to be obedient to you, to submit to you today. I pray for the person here that may not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray for their soul. I pray they might understand they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And they might understand that Jesus loves them and he died on the cross for their sins. And they put their faith and trust in him today. I pray for them. I pray for them. Lord, I pray for all of us that our heart's desire would be to live in your will. Heart's desire to be obedient to you and to your word and follow you and yield to the Holy Spirit. I pray that for each person here so that we might accomplish the things that you have for our lives. That, Lord, if we are right when you close the door, we'd say, okay, God, you close that door. You don't want me to be in that relationship or this or whatever it may be. You don't want me to have that job or whatever it may be because, God, you've got a bigger and better plans for me. you got something better. And Lord, I'm willing to trust you. I'm willing to wait on you, to follow you, whatever that may be, no matter how long it takes, that I will wait on you to follow you because you've got better ideas. And your plan for me is bigger than greater than anything I can possibly come up with. Help us to trust you, God. Help us to wait on you and your will in our lives. And I pray that for each person here this morning. I pray through every one of our circumstances that we're in, whatever they may be, Lord, right now we take and we submit them to you and say, God, I've been trying and it hasn't been working. So I'm going to give it to you and submit it to you and say, God, you guide me. You lead me through the word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Direct me and guide me in what to do. And if you want me to go talk to somebody, lead me to someone that can give me godly counsel, that knows the word and is living it. But Lord, help me be guided by your word. Help me be led by the Holy Spirit that he might use the word to, to direct me and guide me in my life so I can accomplish your will. And I pray that for each and every person. For every one of us, Lord. It comes to us submitting to surrender to you, and I pray that we all say, I surrender. I surrender to you, God. God, we love you and we praise you. We want to live for you. We want our lives to glorify you in everything that we do. Help us to do that, Lord. Bless us today. Bless us as we continue to worship you, Lord, and we yield our hearts and minds to you this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.